The following podcast you're about to listen to is brought to you by the Push Start Media Network, where everything you do in life begins with Push and Start. to another episode sports your enthusiasm sports podcast i am your humble host bryce benjamin along with my co-host mr ed Ruder, returning guest joe kasha in the building fellas what's good man how are y'all feeling i'm feeling outstanding we've got a great topic today it's uh it's one of my absolute favorites that we've done so far so i'm excited to to talk about it what do you think joe I'm in the worst goddamn mood ever just because we're taping this right after that Buffalo Bills performance against the Titans. So I'll eventually get over it. Um, but I'm very excited to talk about some, some of these duos here. But I'm going to be definitely more in a in a jaded mood than usual. Yeah, man, the Bills could have used some of these duels <laughs> from, from that game. And that was tough. Um, yeah, yeah. So y'all know the topic. Uh, if you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're seeing the title, just heard what Ruder and Joe talked about, uh, top five duels in sports history, our sports history. All right. That's, that's kind of the kicker here. This is based on us. This is based on us growing up, watching sports, becoming sports fans and who kind of stood out, um, during our, our fanhood, like, uh, who, who we grew up watching, who connects with us. And uh, just kind of take you guys down memory lane, man, and see if anybody agrees with us or not. So, um, yeah, this, this is going to be a dope episode. Definitely looking forward to hearing your guys's and uh, sharing minds as well. Um, real quick, real quick, just like to get 30 seconds on this. Jets decided to go ahead and cut Le'Veon Bill. They couldn't find a trade partner. And, uh, yeah, paid the man $28 million to play fucking, what, 15 snaps? <laughs> What's your thoughts, man? Yeah, the, the, the news for me on that is just simply that uh, they were not able to find a trade partner, which is unbelievable how that still happens in today's NFL, that uh, you, you can't find anything at all of value for this guy. I think that taking that year off killed his career, and then obviously going to the Jets, he got paid, but it's a, that was a career-ending move, uh, deciding to deciding to sign with the Jets and take that year off, so... I suppose he was one of the last big name players on that roster and oh it's 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 ugly for New York Jets fan. The only thing I can think at this point is that we're in a full tanking for Trevor mode out there in New Jersey. Which is crazy because if I were Trevor, he'll, he's a junior this year, isn't he? Yeah. I'd, I'd I'd stay in school if the Jets had the first pick. For real. That's absolutely <laughs> what uh he he was discussing. Uh he's been asked that several times and he's kind of done the non-committal answer so far yeah. oh, you know, we're gonna see how it goes see how it goes but I mean because in all honesty I don't I don't really think Sam Darnold is a terrible quarterback you know you put Sam Darnold on the bills and he's probably just as successful I mean he's not going to have the same intangibles the same arm strength and, and stuff like that that Josh has but he's, he's an NFL quarterback it's it's not on Darnold at this point but I think to what you were saying Ed with Le'Veon 
Uh, it, it reminded me of the Fournette situation with Jacksonville. You know, they couldn't find a trade partner for him. And you're thinking, why, why the hell can they not find anybody? It's just position, you know, running backs, it, it, they're, they're starting to, I don't want to say it become a dime a dozen, but they're, they're just not, teams aren't starting to spend top dollar on them and they're not going to give up any draft capital to, to acquire his salary at his position, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Shout out to Le'Veon, man. Ski Mask Hall of Fame just completely robbed Jets. <laughs> completely. <Yeah. laughs> man. All right, boys, let's go ahead and get into this episode. Um, Joe, you want to go ahead and kick us off, man? Number five for you, sir. All right, yeah, number five for me. All right, so I had to – we have to make sure that we we make it very clear to our to the listeners here that this is not – based on statistics or, or anything like this is our own personal top five duos. Cause I, I just want to make sure because, you know, I'd be throwing some Bill Russell and Bob Cousy at you probably from, from mm-hmm. long ago. So, so for me, for my number five, and they should probably even be higher maybe on some lists and I'm only putting them on my list because I'm a true sports fan. And I feel like true sports fans have to recognize greatness when they see greatness and probably two guys that um, I'm not a fan of as a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. But number five on my list is is Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. So I'm going Brady and Gronk is my five. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really think there's much explanation needed. It is the two, the two of them when they played together. But seeing them often two times a year against Buffalo and then all the primetime games they were given, you know, as part of the Patriots, to just to watch them and just – absolutely dominate you're talking tom brady probably the best quarterback to play um you know one of the top, you know top three at least and then rob gronkowski you know in his prime the top tight end the best tight end ever play um between maybe him and gates um tony g just, tony you know, and tony g yeah i forget about tony g um and just the connection that they had and in the, the way that they would dominate games and it frustrated me to no end. I hated them for a long, long time. Um, and then I think once they're kind of, they, they go away and, and you kind of think back to what they did and what they were able to do in their careers. And you, and you, you just get, you have to respect it. Um, Gronk, I feel like scored a touchdown every time he played the bills. And I mean, Brady, what was he like? Something like 30 and one against the bills in his career it was something crazy. So, I mean, <laughs> He, they were his, they were, you know, the Bills' daddies, as Pedro would say. I think I've said that two times in a row now. I've been on this podcast, but um, yeah, it's my number five, you know, and I put them on there just so you guys could realize, you know, a true sports fan will, will admit when, uh, you know, greatness, even though it kills you and you and your hometown team, I suppose. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Tom Brady and Gronkowski, that, that combination was fucking unstoppable when uh, Gronk was fully healthy and I'm glad it's, it's, it's not in new England anymore. And I'm tired of, I was tired of dealing with the AFC because we had to go against some boys too in Baltimore, but that's a good one, man. I like that one a lot. Thank you. All right, Reuter. And welcome to another edition of Who's Your Daddy with Joe Kasha. (laughs) (laughs) I'm branching out after this. I'm I'm forming my own. It's going to be the name of my podcast. That's outstanding. He's, 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 he's growing right before our eyes. Who's, who's your, your daddy? daddy? <laughs> the Who's Your Daddy podcast. Oh, man, I want I'm trademark sure. rights on that. I want royalties for sure. 
But uh, I, I love exactly where you went with that, Joe. And part of the reason that I say that is because I did the exact same thing that you did. This is the, uh, only, well, not the same pairing, but this is the only duo on my list that I wasn't a personal huge fan of, but I just had to recognize their greatness together. So it's another thrower of the football and it's another catcher of the football, uh, not in the tight end form, but wide receiver. I've got Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. Uh, those are two guys that just absolutely dominated together. Peyton Manning, obviously, you know, there's all the accolades that you could give to a quarterback he's been given. Uh, he had all the intangibles. He was like a coach on the field. Uh, absolutely incredible. For someone who didn't have all the arm talent in the world, uh, he managed to make it work. And Marvin Harrison was his main target throughout his career. Uh, I know this isn't about stats and things like that, but they're so absurd. I kind of had to bring them up here. Uh, 953 catches, 12,766 yards, and 112 touchdowns. That was in one season, right? That was in one year. That was one magical year. <laughs> that was in the 10 seasons that they spent together. Um, to put that in perspective, because, you know, it's easy to just throw around numbers. There's only six players in the history of the NFL to have over 112 uh, touchdown ca catches in their career. So to have that in, in one duo is incredible. The next closest is only in the 90s. I believe that was uh, Jerry Rice and Steve Young. And in today's free agent era, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that again. So uh, th those two just defined that, you know, late 90s and early 2000s football for me. Peyton Manning was just on every cover of everything, and Marvin Harrison was his guy. So that's the number number five duo for me. Marvin, like, oh, Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I love Marvin Harrison for the fact that he was so just kind of calm, cool, and collected. He just had that demeanor where – in a, in a sport where the wide receiver is seemed to be kind of like this diva personality now, you know, he was just, he went out there, he, you know, put his hard hat on, he did, he did his work, never really, you know, showboated or anything like that. I just, I, I, I've always liked Marvin Harrison and respected him for the way that he played the game. Yeah, Joe, you uh, kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say Marvin was one of those dudes that just went and got the job done. And you think about it, man, like you think about that era of football. He was playing with some fucking phenomenal wide receivers. This is when T.O. and Randy Moss is in their primes. And you go look at the numbers. Marvin Harrison is right there, if not better numbers than both of those guys in a lot of different seasons. Now, he had probably what the second or third greatest quarterback of all time throw him into the football. So that had to definitely cause for that. But, yo, that's a great pick, though, Reuter. Um, that combination, they, they used to kill us. Like I used to, man, I used to hate Peyton Manning because of that and, shit. And I'm not even saying that, you know, Harrison was the best of that era. And I'm not even saying Peyton was the best QB in that era, but together, I mean, you think about like the guys that you just mentioned, T.O., Randy Moss, they, all over the place, Chad Johnson, Steve different Smith. Teams, uh, played on different teams, different quarterback combinations. So these two together were, were just absolutely nasty and don't ever discredit for a second that Carlton Banks mustache that he rocked for most of his career too. <laughs> oh, you, you can't forget that. He always, he always looked 50, even when he was like 25. He really did. He definitely looked like he should have been starring in, in uh, the Jeffersons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on up. <laughs> All right, boys. Um, I kind of went completely left field with my number five here. Okay. And uh, yes, we're talking duos and, Duos meaning two, right? Mm -hmm. And um, these two that I'm about to talk about right now isn't necessarily 
a partnership. They never played really on the same team or nothing of that nature. But once I explain this pick, you'll kind of see where I'm coming from. Uh, number number five, I have uh, the Rock and Stone Cold um, for for sports. Wrestling. Sports entertainment. I yes, love it. sir. And uh, think about this. Like I was a big wrestling fan in the early 90s or, or I should say mid to late 90s. And, um, you know, watching all the different feuds going on and and uh, the Rock and Stone Cold still stands today for me as the greatest rivalry of all time in wrestling. And back as a little kid, you know, I'm thinking it's real. They're really fighting and everything of that nature. But then as a grown ass adult now, I realized that these guys were were telling a story and they was it was a performance that they was always putting on every time they came together. And um, even to this day, man, I can't think of a better rivalry, a better story, better performances than these two have put on on consistent basis. I mean, they headlined three WrestleManias like they headlined WrestleMania 15, 17 and 19. I remember all of those matches and those like stuck with me and resonated with me. And uh, man, when they got together, it was fucking magic. Like I can guarantee you right now. Um, the Stone Cold Stunner, and we all can picture it in our heads right now, The Rock taking that stunner and selling the fuck out of it. You know what I'm saying? So Stone Cold and The Rock came in at number five for me, man. That's one of the greatest sports duels. Sports entertainment, albeit, but definitely one of the greatest sports duels i ever seen in my lifetime. And that's the bottom line, because Bryce Benjamin said so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know, yeah. Ed, I just, uh, I'll give you credit there. I, I'm not a uh, follower I should say, or, um, you know, I've never really gotten into, to wrestling, but I definitely have heard those two names. So, so I, I, I can <laughs> see where you're going with that. I mean, the last time I followed wrestling, I'm probably talking George, the animal steel and Roddy, Roddy Piper probably are the hey. last two that I, <laughs> that I know. So that's good stuff. All right. Number four guys, Joe, back to you. All right. I, when when you had when you when you started and you introduced your number five, I was nervous because I had my number four is exactly kind of like your not exactly like your number five, but these two were never teammates, um, but were kind of seen as this duo and this kind of separate entity from their own two um, specific teams. Uh, I'm going with for my number four, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Ah, I like that as as one of my duos. They're my number four um so huge that home run chase i feel like it was almost like a wwe thing where it was almost scripted from preseason um mcguire with you coming off of some injuries in st louis and sosa just crushing the ball in chicago they kind of built it up in spring training i think i just called spring training preseason too horribly um (laughs) they they built it up to where we were prepped for this chase. And I just remember back when ESPN, like sports center was watchable for highlights, you know, just, Oh, it seemed like every day, one of them was hitting a bomb and then McGuire would go up by one or Sosa would go up by a couple home runs. And there's this, just, just this huge chase. And I remember specifically just having in a, in an MLB season, that's probably the most fun I've ever had watching the game which is kind of why I have this whole love hate relationship with the steroids and the steroid era. Um, and I, it partially devastated me when, you know, McGuire and Sosa were on the stand, um, you know, in that testimony, because, you know, that was just, I, I was, I want to say 13, maybe 14 when that was going on. And it was, um, it was just so enthralling for me to watch. I, I'll still remember to this day watching, McGuire hit his uh, 
you know, 62nd um, in St. Louis off of Steve Traxel. And I still remember the day he hit his 70th uh, home run of a season. Um, and I, I just remember very specifically, very vividly, you know, where I was and, and watching it. And uh, just that whole year, I was very obsessed with that whole race that Sosa McGuire had. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, just being a little kid back then. I wasn't a huge baseball fan, but I do remember that. I remember that home run chase, and um, I remember, like, being tuned into those games there. I'd be at my uncle's house or whatever that may be, and just seeing these dudes just fucking bomb, just just, mm-hmm. just launching bombs, man. So that's awesome, man. I really do like that, and that was a huge sports story. Like That, that pretty much dominated headlines back then, so that's good stuff. I like that a lot. Ruder, anything to add on that one? Yeah, I just think that I mean that really saved baseball for an era too. That was a that was a time where they were just coming off of kind of a dead ball era where there weren't a lot of home runs, there wasn't a lot of action. Baseball ratings were kind of in the toilet, and uh, you had these two guys that came out of nowhere, just behemoths, just crushing home runs at a historic pace. And then the fact that they both did it at the same time, and it was like this, it was must see TV because you had to go back and you had to see who hit one tonight. And there was a lot of, you know, slamming Sammy fans and a lot of Big Mac fans. And it was it was a lot of fun to watch the two going back and forth. And, uh, you know, we found out years later, you know, that it was uh, a little bit of juice going on there. But <laughs> shoot them all up. <laughs> but for what Fuck it was, it. I mean, it was it was a lot of times a lot of people said that it was just about everybody doing it. You know, it was pitchers doing it. It was hitters doing it. It was kind of the era. So it is what it is. And I will still say to this day, you know, steroids will help you, you know, maybe be a little bit stronger. They'll help you get through some, some pains or some injuries a little bit more quickly, but they're, they're not going to help you hit a 98 mile per hour fastball. So those are still incredible athletes doing incredible things. And I love it. That was, that was an awesome period of time and a great pick. Thank you. I also just to kind of real quick to to finalize that the respect that the two had for each other, too, was really cool to see. Sosa was McGuire's biggest fan. McGuire was Sosa's biggest fan. It wasn't kind of this, you, you know, ego sort of thing going on. They were rooting for each other. And I just that's one of the things I remember when McGuire um, broke the record with the 63rd. Um, you know, it was against Chicago. So Sammy was it was almost like perfectly storybook written. So Sammy was there and they celebrated together. And I'll never forget Mark McGuire, you know, picking up Sammy Sosa and, and celebrating with him. And just the respect that they had for each other was, was really cool. That's what's up. All right, Ruder, number four for you, my man. Number four for me, obviously, uh, George the Animal Steel and uh, <laughs> Roddy, 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 Roddy Piper. Piper. Right? Yeah, obviously. No, I'm hot t- rod, baby. The, the hot rod. I, I do love the hot rod. I am not going to do my hot rod impression right now. That would be too embarrassing and <laughs> awful for everyone involved. But, I kind of want to hear it now. Oh, I there's know. there's not a chance on this planet that that's happening tonight or, or any time <laughs> in the near future. But um, jumping into my number four was was a cool one for me when this was sad to say one of the few times in my life that I followed basketball really closely was when I was a a younger kid. It was on at my house quite often. My dad loved basketball. And, um, I thought it was too easy to, to go with like Jordan and Pippen. And those were two guys that were obviously dominant just, you know, along with names like, you know, Kobe and Shaq, there's so many that come to mind that were, but for me, just two guys that I always enjoyed watching just the, the way that they played off of each other, uh, I'm going with Carl Malone and John Stockton. 
just two guys that were outstanding for a long period of time together. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure, but it was 18 years that they spent together. Uh, they were on the dream team together, which I remember being really cool when I was a little kid, you know, when the Olympics, when you're younger, it's, it's just, you know, you're full of pride in your country and you're watching these guys just go out and absolutely dominate. And then it was two guys from the same team out there together was a lot of fun. Um, they went to something like, I, I don't recall exactly, but it was like 12 or 13 straight playoff appearances. Uh, would you think about it? I mean, it's a team with the Utah jazz that hasn't seen that level of success uh, at any other time really in their, in their history. Uh, Malone was a 14 time all-star stocked in a nine time all-star two time MVP for Malone. Uh, these guys were just two dominant players on the same team. Uh, and just so much fun to watch because Carl Malone was that big presence and John Stockton, just the, the smaller guy running around, you know, uh, making all the assists. And to this day, to this day, many, many years later, Whenever I throw something to someone else, I still go Stockton. <laughs> I'm still, I'm throwing a piece of paper to somebody. I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, that's still the name that I pull out there. And if for nothing else, uh, another reason that these guys stuck out in my head, you know, uh, I'm a gamer at heart and NBA jam, Carl uh, Malone and John Stockton. Those were my guys, Carl Malone for the huge jams and John Stockton for shooting threes. So those are two that just uh, stand out in my heart as uh, two of my favorites of all time. And the greatest pick and roll of all time, um, probably like the most unstoppable play in basketball. One of the most unstoppable plays in basketball history. And uh, yeah, man, like their resume speaks for themselves. They got to back to back finals. Unfortunately, they ran into Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls, so they never got to win one. But uh, yeah, that combination was just ridiculously good. Like Stockton, for he he is the all-time leader of NBA assists for a reason. Malone is second in all-time of scoring, and there's no is no coincidence that uh, both of those guys fed off of each other. So that's an excellent yeah, pick, Rooter. Absolutely incredible duo. And like I said, there were there were probably ultimately guys that won. Uh, there were guys that you know were maybe two better players. But for me, these two together were just. Stockton and Malone, man. It was just uh, two, two names from my childhood that just leap off of, uh, leap out of my brain and my memories. Yeah, man, it's, a, it's also the best because when you look at John Stockton, like if you take him off of the basketball court and put him in, you know, street clothes, he looks like he should be like an IT guy from San Bernardino or something. You know, he doesn't <laughs> look like a, like a basketball player. He just looked like just kind of the scrawny guy. But I mean, I'll get, you'll see, I'll get into that more a little bit, a little bit later with Stockton and Malone. So a little. Yeah. All right, cool. Number four for me, I'm sticking with basketball as well. And um, spoiler alert, uh, I do not have Jordan and Pippen in, in, in my top five. All right. And, uh, and, you know, don't get me wrong. Obviously they're a great duo and I'm not stupid. It's just that I didn't get to enjoy their greatness because at that point I wasn't in the, bas- in the basketball. But these two, I'm fully aware of basketball, and they kind of changed the game, all right? And this is what stuck with me here. Um, I was kind of going back and forth, and, and I almost did a tie, but I kind of just said, fuck it. I'm going to go with Steph, uh, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson as my number four top five duo of all time. And um, like I said, they changed the game. They made the three-point shot like the most lethal weapon in today's game right now every every kid you go to any gym any park right now every kid is practicing their three-point shot every kid is practicing their pick and roll and shooting off uh behind the three-point line 
And just look at some of these numbers that they produced together ever since they started playing together. So first of all, they're both shooting well over 40% from three. Seth at 44, Clay at 42. Um, they have seven playoff appearances since joining each other, and they have played together for eight seasons. Five Western Conference titles, three NBA titles, 11 All-Stars between the both of them, and then eight All-NBA selections. The, that, that duo is, is fucking phenomenal, all right? Uh, Steph Curry, right now, the, the, I mean, you can make an argument that they are the two greatest shooters of all time in NBA history. You could throw in Ray Allen, you could throw in Reggie Miller and others some names, but those two, for my money, I'm taking all day, every day over anybody. And um, yeah, man, that duo is, is something lethal. And I was originally had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry as a tie. But when I kind of think about it, like Steph and Clay was was phenomenal, won the title even before Durant got there. So that's my reasoning for that. <laughs> you're making me realize how old I am now because, you know, you're, you're, you're going with some youngins there. Ed, Ed rifles off Stockton and Malone and you go <laughs> with the, with Steph and, and Clay. Yeah. As, a, uh, as a former basketball player myself, played um you know niagara falls high school and then i dabbled a little in college but my really only strong suit to my game was shooting the three-point shot so um i love that they changed the game in that way where they've kind of you know made the three-point shot uh bless you thank you um you know because that was really the only thing that i did well you know (laughs) i wasn't i wasn't a good dribbler i wasn't a good you know defender i could just shoot they just put me out there and i would hit a couple three pointers and then they go sit me down and you know be out there for six minutes and do my thing um so i definitely respect that in terms of you know style of play and i mean let's be honest golden state for for a while there you know was was dominant before even they built that super team that they built. And it was all based off off of Steph and, and, and clay. And the funny thing about it is, is Bryce is I, I remember Steph's dad very, very well from playing in Charlotte because when the Hornets first came out, I don't know if it was the color because everybody had the Hornets starter jacket back in the day. Like Mm -hmm. literally everybody had that jacket. Including me. Yeah. I love the Hornets back then and Del Curry. I think was on that original Hornets team. I can still yeah. picture some basketball cards that I have. And, and, and Dell could Dell could shoot, man. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's where uh, you know Steph got got that touch because Dell Dell was a shooter. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. They changed the game. All right, man. We are going on to our number three selections. Joe, who do you got All third, right. my man? All right, my number three is kind of weak, and I'm going to be the first to admit that it's kind of weak, but because it's 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 a homer pick, and it's um, it's more based on my heart, and um, you know how how awesome I felt about these two, and they're not even probably a duo in the sense of a duo, but um, we're the only kind of two shining players from from this team that kind of came out of nowhere to almost become the, the NHL champion. So I'm going hockey with this one. So Ed might be happy about that. I, I don't know if he's got a hockey one or not. Um, definitely a big love for the Sabres. I'm going with Dominic Hasek and Miro Shatan. So how interesting of a pull is that for uh, Hasek and Shatan? Um, 1999, they went to the Stanley Cup kind of out of nowhere. Uh, Hasek pretty much took, put the whole team on his back and the saves that he was making in the in, in keeping them in the games and winning games for them. Hashik was the most 
unbelievable goalie I think I've ever seen. And I've, you know, we've watched Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur. He kind of came up in that same era where Waugh and Brodeur kind of get all uh, most of the credit for, for goaltending. But in terms of just a flashy, uh, uh, amazing goalie that would just pull saves out completely out of his ass, Dominic Hasek was your man for that. And he literally brought them to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And kind of the only reason I picked Miro Shatan because that is self-admittedly pretty lame to pick Shatan because he was literally the only offense they had on uh, on that squad in '99 when they lost to the, lost to the Stars. Um, to the to this day, it haunts me. I will not admit that the Stars won that Stanley Cup all year. They had called. The foot in the crease is a no goal. Brett Hull does it in game six, clinching game, and they just give it to him because they don't even want to go to replay. I swear I still think it's because they fired the confetti cannons um, for the for the because they scored and they didn't want to clean up the confetti. So they just said, fuck it, well, let's leave and give the stars the, the cup. But um, you know, just watching that run, I remember, you know, I was younger as well. I was probably in 10th grade, so maybe 14, 15 years old, just staying up to you know, one, two in the morning to watch that game one overtime of the, of the cup when Jason Woolley scored the, scored the, uh, the game winning goal was just um, as a Buffalo sports fan, you have to cling to very specific memories because we don't have many tremendous memories uh, <laughs> you know, in our past 40 years of existence for the Sabres and the Bills. And that was just a time where, um, you, you know, it was Buffalo was, was, there was hope. You know, and, and Ed can tell you, I almost picked Drury and Briere for this one, Ed, just because I remember so many times of just watching that playoff run, that Stanley Cup run that they had for those couple of years and watching games with you and just, you know, just it was a really good time to be a Sabres fan. But I decided to go with Hashik and Shatan because what Hashik did for the Sabres was, was completely, completely all on his shoulders and, and unbelievable. So. All right, boom. Yeah, Rudy, you got any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, just obviously two two of the most heralded players in Sabres history. The one thing that I'll say about Dominic Hasek is that he took over games like nobody that I've ever seen in the NHL from the netminder position. You, you can you can see that there's been goalies with a ton of success over their careers. You know, you could talk about Marty Brodeur, talk about Ed Belfour. Eddie B. That's a good name. That's a good pull. That's a good poll, right? That's what I do. I pull once an episode, I pull a, a good poll. But uh Andy Moog. <laughs> Tom Barrasso. No. But uh no, there's some you know, some great netminders, obviously, you know, that have uh, you know won multiple cups and that were, you know, in the running for Vesna every year. Cujo, but um yeah. but they uh they didn't dominate a game uh regardless of the defense in front of them. I will say that you know, certain players benefited from playing for teams that had a defensive style in general and also played with some of the best defenders uh, that I've ever seen. Um, but Dominic Hasek did not have the benefit of any of those things most of the time and just absolutely stood on his head quite literally sometimes um, while most of the time probably being hammered. So that's always a, a cool pick there. And of course, Miro Shatan to the casual fan that doesn't know any better uh, is spelled S A T A N. Satan, baby. So, so when you're a young man and you see a Satan jersey, that that can be appealing. So uh, <laughs> sure, that's that's two uh, two great names to to have on your list there. I, love I it. mean, out of all guys on that team in terms of offense, I, I Shatan stands out the most to me. Um, I don't know. He's probably the only forty goal scorer. That's for yeah. Sure. And I'm thinking of like 
guys that kind of that were on like Jeff Sanderson was probably on that team. Um, Curtis Brown, you know, guys that were just kind of like just excellent team players, but Shatan just kind of stood out to me offensively. It was more about Hashik than Shatan. Let's put it that way. For sure. I just love the names. Right. If anything, the names are fucking elite. That's an elite duel of names. <laughs> there we go. I'll take it. All right, Ruder, number three for you, sir. Number three for me. Uh, I am switching gears back to baseball here, and I am going with a, a, a real duo, uh, so much so that uh, they had a nickname. That's how you know that uh, you're a good duo when, when you're awarded a nickname. And uh, for me, it was the Astros. Okay, is the team, and you know nowadays, uh, you know I can't stand the Astros, I'm just filthy cheaters, and I hate Correa, and Altuve's too little to play baseball. I can't stand him either. Oh, I used to love Altuve too. Oh, so yuck! Bregman, gross. Brantley's a traitor. All these guys, but uh, back in the day, a lot of people might not remember, or those maybe suffering from some recency bias. Uh, the Astros used to be those lovable losers for years and years. It was so much fun uh, watching them play. And uh, my guys that I'm going with here are the Killer Bees, and that's Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. And these were two guys that, frankly, couldn't have been much more opposite as players. Um, Craig Biggio was a, a speedster, leadoff type of guy, career like 280 hitter uh, who – uh, played amazing defense and um, was kind of just the the spark plug for that offense. Then you got Jeff Bagwell, who had a goatee down to his down to his knees, and uh, was just more of a slugger. Uh, he popped some home runs. He he didn't always hit you know a ton of home runs, but certainly a lot of doubles. He had excellent line drive power to the gaps, and uh, he actually played a, a great first base also. Uh, Bagwell, for me, one of the most underappreciated guys throughout his career. He won a Rookie of the Year. He won an MVP. Uh, he's still amongst the top players in the history of baseball in war, which is wins above replacement, kind of a, a great stat that shows your overall worth to a team on, on a yearly basis. And uh, both of these guys are, are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, they, they never won, due mostly to um, not having a lot of talent around them, nor did they ever have a really great pitching staff with them there either, but these were two guys that played together, uh, for 14 years. Uh, and, uh, just, just an amazing duo. Uh, the killer bees actually, they, they had some names added along with them at certain times. So I want to give a shout out to Derek Bell and Lance Berkman, who, when you say the killer bees, sometimes those guys get thrown in as well, but the foundation, the real duo there, uh, two of my favorite players of all time, uh, Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. Did, did Berkman play with those two at, at one point? Did they all yeah. three of them play together? Oh, wow. Yep. I didn't realize so I thought towards, Berkman was well after. Yep. So Berkman uh, played in the in the early to mid-2000s, and he caught a couple years there with them. Because uh, Biggio and Bagwell, I guess I should have said, were there, were there together from 1991 to 2005. So he spent a majority of their career together. Uh, it was just two 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 great players and I will say Bagwell getting into the Hall of Fame was really cool because he was kind of a slugger throughout the steroid era and he never even had a sniff of a steroid accusation thrown in his direction he was just a player that was absolutely clean and really well respected in a time where baseball was kind of tainted so uh, just growing up two of my favorite players 
Also, my last side note before I, uh, you know, let Bryce get to his number three is that Craig Biggio did exactly what I did uh, when I played baseball when I was a little kid, which was he, he was a he was a catcher and he was a and a second baseman. And those were the exact two positions that I played growing up. And I thought that was really cool. And uh, yeah, that's that's my two of my favorite childhood uh, players. He came up as a catcher. He played a couple of years, I think, behind the plate for Houston. And then they yeah. moved him second. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, catcher and, and second base. Loved it. I like, I like how you did that, you know, and, and that's probably why I like these kind of personal duos the most because there's always some sort of backstory. And I remember, I think Ed and I played, played baseball against each other, not with each other, ever, but against each other. And I remember Ed behind the plate catching and, um, you know, for him to relate to to kind of a guy like like Biggio in terms of just because he played the same two positions as you I, I think that's you know that's why I really enjoyed coming up with these duos so boom all right number three for me and we're going back to football and if you know me you know who I represent them dirty birds down in Maryland shout out to my Baltimore Ravens right now five and one by the way four and one excuse me um but the reason I became a Baltimore Ravens fan, honestly, and and uh, just some great memories with these two is because of Ray Lewis and Mr. Ed Reed. Um, gentlemen, I have a quick trivia question for you guys real quick. All right. Um, the earth is covered 71% by water. All right. Do you know who covers the, uh, the rest of that percentage there? Ed Reed. You goddamn right. The greatest ball hawk in NFL history, Ray Lewis, the most menacing, and I am for my money the best defensive player of all time. I know I'm a little biased there, but just stick with me here, okay? But listen, these two joined forces in 02 when Reed was drafted, both out of Miami, by the way. Shout out to the U. And um, I mean, yeah, I got some numbers for you guys, man. Uh, first of all, they won back to back defensive players of the year, Ray Lewis in 03, Ed Reed in 04. Uh, since their time together, the Baltimore Ravens captured four division titles. Okay. They had a combined nine all pro first team selections. All right. Four by Ed Reed, or excuse me, four by Ray Lewis, five by Ed Reed. Combined 17 Pro Bowls together. All right. Eight by Ray, nine by Reed. And then since joining forces, since 02, um, Baltimore defensively, this is where we finished at. All right. 22nd, third. Sixth, fifth, first, 06. That, by the way, that 06 Baltimore Ravens defense, the greatest defense to never win a championship. Uh, sixth, second, third, 10th, third, and then in 12, 17th, where they actually won their first Super Bowl together. That was Ray Lewis's second and Ed Reed's first. Um, on average, Baltimore's defense was finishing minimum seventh place in uh, defense, man. And it was honestly because of those two players. Like, the things that they was able to do on the football field together, the communication, the trust between one another. Um, Ray Lewis would just give, like, it was literally documented. Ray Lewis would just give Ed Reed a certain look, and they just knew, okay, we about to go do this because this quarterback is about to do that, and boom, turnover, or boom, tackle for a loss. The the com the 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 symmetry and the connection that those two f- shared on the football was just absolutely phenomenal. And um, man, it was a pleasure. It was honestly an honor to watch those two play football at the highest form all the way, and I got to see their full careers play out. Um, so yeah, shout out to those two, man. I, I absolutely, absolutely. Baltimore football would not be Baltimore football without those two, two greatest Ravens of all time. Yeah, man, Ray Lewis absolutely killed. So. 
<laughs> he was he was a killer for sure, man. He That's was. a great pick. He was <laughs> yep, he, he yep. murdered it out there every week. <laughs> no, I just <laughs> when you think of Ray Lewis, you think of the, the most intimidating, probably middle linebacker to ever play. Um, you know, and I, at least in my era, you know, just just watching him out there, I I just always remember him coming out of the tunnel with the Ray Lewis dance, getting the team hyped up, pumped up definitely the leader of that defense. And like you said, Ed, Ed Reed was always making plays. The guy just was around the ball constantly. Totally agree. The two leaders of that, of that Ravens defense for all those years that you went over there. What, what the people at home couldn't see, unfortunately, is that while he was talking there, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know uh, because he didn't get winded at all. He did a perfect rendition of the, of the Ray Lewis dance while he was talking there. It was incredible. So you, I only wish you could have seen what I just saw. Was, what people would know is that I would definitely be winded if I even did that. I am so out of shape. I sweat looking for things in the refrigerator. So that's how I, bad it is. For I me. can't tell you how many times I practiced that damn dance ever since I first seen it. And I got it down packed. I, I bring that, it. I break it out in the club. No, 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 no. I got to be drunk. Break it out. The Ray Lewis at the club. Is I that break the, it out in the is club. Is that one of the moves? It's a legit white club. Suit. Well, you're wearing the white suit, right? It, and it works. <laughs> it is a go-to club move. Uh, I'd, I'd go home with you if you did that for me at the club. I'm going to hold you to that. All right, number two. I'm just kidding. That's a that's a kid. That's a joke. Uh, number two. What you got, is it Joe? me? That's it me. Oh. Well, Ed stole my shit. So my number two, Ed had already mentioned, I have a little bit of a backstory with um, with these two guys, but um, we we actually came up with these duos completely on our own. We didn't um, talk about it at all. I have Stockton and Malone as my number two. And um, it's really weird to me that like two guys from, I guess, you know, Western New York, but the East Coast could really like and fall in love with these two kind of guys on an obscure team, Utah Jazz. You know, if you're naming every single NBA team, it's one of those teams. Them and the Phoenix Suns, I feel like you would always forget about. You don't, you forget that they exist almost, um, like back in the day at least. Um, the Utah Jazz in the 80s had a coach named Frank Layden. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. He was um, the coach in the early to mid eighties. And, um, he used to coach for Niagara university, coached the Niagara university purple Eagles. Uh, so he was a local guy at one point. He was, uh, he lived in Niagara falls at one point in his life before he became the coach. And then eventually I believe the general manager of the jazz and Frank Layden had a son named Scott Layden, who, um, at one time was the GM for the Knicks, I believe. Um, but Scott grew up in Niagara Falls and was in high school um, when my dad coached at Niagara Catholic. Uh, my dad coached football and basketball at Niagara Catholic. So he knew Scott Layden and he knew Frank Layden just because, um, you know, the boy had went to uh, Niagara Catholic and I believe he played basketball for my dad. Um, if you, if shout out to everybody who knows my dad. He's, you know, everybody used to think he was my grandpa, but. I swear to God, everybody knows who he is in Niagara Falls if you went through Niagara Catholic or played any sport whatsoever. So um, one day when I was when I was very young, I, I would say six, seven, maybe, um, this man showed up at our house and I didn't know who it was. And it, and it was Scott Layden and he was, he was an adult at the time. And he just came to visit my dad because, you know, he was his coach. I guess they had a pretty good relationship. And he knew that he had me as, you know, as a young um my, as a young boy, my dad would bring me to the practices and I just remember running everywhere in the gym in Niagara Catholic. 
um, and not paying any attention to the basketball games. I was probably like four or five years old. And uh, he brought me all sorts of Utah Jazz um, posters, signed posters, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Utah Jazz, you know, pennants, gear, a lot of stuff like that. And before that, you know, I, and Utah Jazz weren't really much to me. But then once I once I got that from, from Scott Layden, um, I kind of started following them and that kind of made me fall in love with the jazz in terms of, you know, back in the day and, and then with Stockton and Malone. And we, and I think Ed really kind of talked about everything that the two of them, you know, brought to the court and did in their careers. So I won't touch into that, but I just, I have that kind of personal connection with the jazz and Stockton and Malone were like the next big thing. And as, as Bryce said, obviously, you know, we know Jordan and Pippen, we know that, you know, they're the best duo, but you know, we're not stupid, but we, um, you know, it's, it's more personal for me. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I like that backstory. That's dope. Right, thanks. It's a really cool story. A lot of a lot of my best stories come to uh, this guy showed up at my house, <laughs> where a lot of my best stories start. So it's nice to hear that I wasn't alone in that adventure. He was half naked. You guess which half? <laughs> he was carrying he was carrying an umbrella. It's just a random story. I loved it though. Now that's cool. When you get a, a personal touch as a kid, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of stories that that. I'm sure a lot of the listeners could relate to of going to a ball game and meeting a ball player that was like nice to you at the time or so or signed an autograph and you just become a fan of that guy moving forward. And it, it's really cool to hear that uh, it wasn't the players themselves, but it was a coach from that team. And it's amazing how like the, these little paths happen in your life that lead you to liking certain players or that lead you to like a certain team. It's, it's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's dope, man. All right. Number two, Ruder. Number two for me. So Captain Foreshadowing, Joseph Kasha, already brought up. Uh, I, I was really scared because, again, we did not do any rehearsal. We didn't do any discussion beforehand. We were just picking duos. So I was very nervous when he said he was going with the Sabres. He ended up going with Hashik and Shatan, great duo. Uh, I went with the other tandem that he mentioned in that era, uh, uh, Briere and Drury. Ah, so I want Danny Breer nice. and, and Chris Drury uh, as my number two. And if for no other reason, because I think as a Sabres fan, uh, as much as I love those Hashik teams and Michael Pekka and, uh, you know, some Curtis Brown, Joe mentioned Curtis Brown, which is really yeah. cool because he's one of my favorite grinders of all time. The guy was awesome. Anyone that's a Sabres fan should remember him. But th this was a, a combination that was in the mid 2000s. So it was like 05, 06 and then 06, 07. Uh, this was after a lockout. And I remember what was really cool after the lockout was uh, speed became really the most important feature of NHL hockey teams. And uh, the Sabres were not lacking that. Uh, it was it was really awesome to watch Breer and Drury. Neither of them, what I really loved about it is neither of them really lit up the stat sheet all that often, but uh, they were co-captains of the Buffalo Sabres. So they both wore the C, which I thought was really cool. Uh, they both were incredibly clutch uh, in game-winning goals and game-tying goals. And for my entire life up until that point, you know, as, as a fan of the Dolphins, as a fan of the Sabres, as a fan of the Indians, you're just constantly waiting for that other shoe to drop. You're always waiting for, well, how are they going to blow it, right? And this was the first time that one of my teams that I liked was like that team that you could never count out of a game which was really cool. And um, you just always thought down one, a minute left, no big deal. These two got it. And time after time after time, uh, Briere and Drury would come through. 
other great stories about these guys. Uh, one of my favorite announcers, if not my favorite announcer of all time, Rick Jenneret, uh, laid out one of the best sports calls in the history of of hockey when he yelled, these guys are good, scary good. Uh, and then there was, and now do you believe? Now do you believe? And it was uh, on the backs of, of guys like uh, Breer and Drury. So just some of my absolute favorite moments came from that team in general. I remember watching with Joe, Brian Campbell, uh, oh. absolutely destroyed a player RJ named RJ Umberger <laughs> on the ice. It was, it's for my money, the best hit that I've ever seen in a hockey game. Uh, you know, you, you watch guys like Vanek, Pominville, Afinogenov, just roll the highlight film for, for Max Afinogenov. And uh, just some of my best memories watching sports were those mid-2000 Sabres teams. Uh, to this day, the only team in Sabres history, if I'm not mistaken, to win the President's Trophy for having the most points scored in, in the league. And uh, just an absolute pleasure to watch some of my absolute favorite memories as, as, a, as a human person watching sports. <laughs> uh, the Buffalo Sabres in that mid-2000s era, led by my number two duo, Danny Briere and Chris Drury. And to, and to kind of piggyback off of that, the, the greatest game tying goal I've ever seen was in the Rangers series. Do you remember this? It was a home the, game. The Drury from like, Oh my God. From somehow I, behind the net almost like uh, never, along I'll the boards. Never forget it. We we're down by one with about like seven, maybe 10 seconds to go. The, 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 the arena was the loudest I've ever heard it. There was people, this was when they started kind of congregating outside the arena. So they had that huge, um, you know, congregation outside the arena and we're down by one and there's a face off in the ranger zone and Lundquist had been playing out of his mind. And I think at this point we were, I think the series was tied one-to-one -one or something. We, were, we might've even been down two one. And um, this was the second year, um, not the year we lost to Carolina to go to the cup. It was the following year. And we won that face-off and Drury somehow, like he always does, as you mentioned, exactly what you mentioned. He was, Drury was the most clutch goal scorer I think I've ever seen um, in at least Sabres history. And he scored that goal and that was my, by far my favorite hockey moment. And as you said, Rick Jenneret with that voice and, and all of his calls, but I just remember that. And then that same game that you were talking about with Brian Campbell lighting up RJ Umberger. That was the game that Danny Briere scored the overtime winner. That was game one of the, the Philly series. Sure was. The first round of the NHL playoffs. And I remember we were on 20th Street in your old apartment watching that in your living room. And uh, just, you know, good times, great memories there. We, we, shook the, we shook the floor jumping up and down on that one. That's, that's for damn sure. Uh, it was just awesome times. Just an incredible duo. Uh, love them to pieces. Some more hometown, hometown Sabres love, man. You got to love it. Shout out to the Sabres, man. Shout out to the 90 Sabres. All right. Number two for me. Um, I kind of went back and forth and I, I flipped them again, Ruder. Uh-oh. Yeah, I flipped, I flipped them again. So number two, um, it was my number one, but I flipped it back down to number two. Um, it, this one here is uh, going to be Venus and Serena Williams, the Williams sisters. And uh, I mean... As a duo, because we're talking about duels, right? And uh, this is kind of like just looking back at them. So since they started competing in, in the duels, uh, championships, titles and whatnot, since, and this is in 98, they competed in 23 doubles championships. All right. 
they won 22 times out of those 23s. So when you talk about just overall dominance of a sport by two athletes in their sport playing together, they are the most dominant duel ever in any sport. You put them up against any duel in history and 22 titles. Are you fucking kidding me? Like it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And, and the fact that it was two sisters on the court and not just sisters in general, but sisters, black, like two black women on the court dominating the competition and like just the only two black women out there. Um, it was a beautiful thing to see. And I really didn't realize it as a kid because like, I remember my mother making me watch those games and I'll go over my uncles and aunts houses and we will watch those, those, those competitions. And I never understood why until I got older and realized the significance of that. And, um, just kind of looking back on it, man, it's, it's a beautiful thing. What those ladies done in their sport is unmatched. And, um, I don't see any, any duos competing with that anytime soon. But um, shout out to those ladies there, man. Shout out to the Williams sisters, just two phenomenal athletes. And uh, I mean, individually, they dominated tennis as well. So, yeah, those are my that's my number two right there. What a, what a great couple of choices there, uh, you know, watching those two kind of splash onto the scene. And Venus came out first. You know, a lot of our younger listeners may not realize that Venus came out and took the tennis world by storm first. And then little sister came out and, oh, my goodness, did she ever just absolutely take over i thought man nobody's gonna beat this venus williams she's amazing and then sure enough little sister came out and uh absolutely dominated it's really cool choices man there again you know i my mind as soon as we talked about duos went to to team sports right where we were talking about uh you know football basketball hockey and the like but i like where you went to you went to sports entertainment and tennis it's really outside the box thinking and these are two great choices i love it and, and when I had Starks, yeah, I had the misconception that we were going to do kind of statistically, I had a whole ranking system and everything of how we were going to do these duos. I had Serena and Venus on there as one of the most successful statistically wise duos in, in their sport. So that is definitely something that I was looking at with them. Um, so I, I also think that's a really good pick. I appreciate it, fellas. Number one, we are down to one. Joe. I'm very curious to see your number one. You know, it's funny because I kind of joked about this a little bit last week and, and you would probably expect me to go. Can I, can I give you some honorable mentions? Is that okay? Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. So some honorable mentions. I thought the whole Jim Kelly, Andre Reed situation. Um, I was never a big Jim Kelly fan though. Like, honestly, I know that's kind of terrible as a Bills fan, but I don't know. For some reason I wasn't a huge Kelly fan. Um, I also thought of Tony Gwynn and Ken Kennedy were two of my favorite um, baseball players that uh, that played but I ended up going with and, and like I said I kind of joked about this last week but I was trying to think out of the box for my number one and just kind of think of memorable and um, kind of dominating sports performances and moments um, that I remember it as, as a kid and I'm going golf on this one <laughs> I'm going Tiger Woods and his caddy fluff remember the caddy, the caddy fluff you probably you were probably you're all looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about the walrus Wilford Brimley looking guy, the big mustache, and he's on, he's carrying his back. I'm going with Tiger Woods and Fluff. I, I remember that relationship to be one of the big stories on ESPN back in the day. And it's one of my favorite duos, and I was trying to think out of the box. Um, he was – Fluff was his caddy for his uh, first kind of major win, the 97 Masters, which he that kind of put Tiger, burst him right onto the scene where he, like, shot a 
40 on the, on the first nine and then a third, like a ridiculous 30 on the back nine. It was something crazy like that. Um, and uh, Fluff was there. And Tiger has personally said that it was kind of his inspirational talk after, like, uh, after the front nine of what got him to shoot that record, like third, like that crazy round of 30 on the back nine. Uh, just kind of his motivational and, and the relationship that they had was was really cool. And then, um, you know, I researched it a little bit because, you know, let's let's be honest, we don't really keep up on fluff and what he's doing. Still a caddy to this day, 72 years old, still a caddy, looks incredibly thinner than when he did when he was caddying for Tigers. He, lo he looks excellent. He's actually been Jim Furyk's caddy for like the past 20 something years. So Tiger actually parted ways with him after a couple of years. They won a whole bunch of majors together and um, they parted ways. And, and uh, Fluff said he doesn't really even know why. Like there wasn't really an explanation, but he has no ill will to him. And they're actually still friends and they still talk to each other uh, to this day with that relationship. And I just remember Tiger Woods being just one of the pioneers in golf. Golf wasn't a thing. Golf was something that was, you know, you know, my uncle watched it on the TV and it put me to sleep because it was so damn boring. <laughs> and it was just such like an old white dude sport, you know, yeah. and, and no one cared about it. Like I hated, you know, I hated it. And then Tiger came on, on the scene and, um, you know, he kind of had this huge following. And I think a lot of it too, is I think he played up in at the Lewiston country club. I think he played in a tournament up there. So uh, he kind of had some local buzz going on for that. And I just remember him bursting onto the scene in the masters there and just dominating and playing like he, he made golf fun. He made golf exciting. Just his attitude, the whole beyond like the, you know, the fist pump and you know, when he, when he makes the putt, I just, just did did we have a Chappelle? Did you just call it the beyond? Yeah. The beyond the, it, it was the Howard so much, Dean. Oh, Howard Dean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He so, definitely uh, made the beyond motion. He did, you know, and uh, I, I don't know. I just, I was really, it, it got me kind of interested in golf. I don't know if that's like a cool uh, I get you, say. man. He brought a different energy to it. He, yeah, he really did, you know. Young he, brother out there dominating. Uh, right. Yeah. He, it was, you it know, just kind of this, just this, this prodigy, you know, they show clips of him when he's three years old, you know, swinging the, the mm -hmm. golf club and just, you know chipping in shots from from this from the sand bunkers and shit and i'm like what the hell this guy's got more talent in his pinky finger than i'll ever have in my life and um i guess the only person that i could really duo him up with was the one that i remember him the most with and that's that fluff the caddy man mike collin is his real name by the way so sorry to a little disappointing for my number one but i thought i'd think out of the box a little bit that's not disappointing at all man you're talking about what the most dominant golfer that this, this generation has ever seen. And uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure he attributed a lot of that to his caddy. So I respect mm -hmm. it hundred percent, man. That's what's up. And, and would, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ed. No, I, I would just definitely say, you know, you said that you made mention of the fact that I made a face when you mentioned that. And I, it was true because, you know, I had obviously heard of fluff, but uh, just tiger woods. I had never heard of him before. <laughs> yeah. so Who's that tiger guy? That, that obscure tiger woods. I had never heard of, but fluff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I knew, I knew fluff. <laughs> and one of the, I read an article about fluff recently when I was like prepping for things to talk about with, um, with tiger and him. And he said that, um, in all the uh, events and all the, um, you know, ch uh, tournaments of golf that he caddied for Tiger, Tiger never once blamed him for, for any bad advice that he might have given, you know, and he said that's very common for golfers to do to kind of take it out on a caddy because 
some golfers can admit that they, you know, just made a bad shot. Um, Tiger wasn't like that. He was always very humble with him. And, you know, and he said he made plenty of mistakes and plenty of wrong calls, but uh, you know, the, the relationship that they had, the respect for each other, you know, kind of, kind of came through there. Very cool, stuff, man. man. I love it. Sure. Number one. Number one for me, I, I've got to go with my, one of my favorite sports teams. Anyone that knows my fanhood knows that I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. One of my absolute sports heroes is Dan Marino. Dan the man. I, I chose not to include Dan specifically here, hmm. but I'm a sucker for the name game. I'm a sucker for duos who have been bestowed a title. And uh, for these two here, I have the Marks brothers. Uh, that would be Mark Duper and Mark Clayton. The Just absolutely two of my favorite Dolphins of all time. Uh, they played together for over 10 years, made a combined eight Pro Bowls and many All-Pro appearances. Uh, Duper to this day is still the Dolphins' all-time leader in receiving. And uh, I remember watching these two. They brought for me, what was just the coolest swagger. I remember watching a lot of Bills games and when they played the Dolphins, there were a few players that stood out in my mind that were just just really cool guys to watch. Uh, if you recall, they used to show on NFL games before there was so many commercials. They used to like show guys coming out of the tunnel and they used to announce the players' names before the games. And I'll, I'll never forget three of the players that just stood out to me as coming out, you know, dancing and and moving around and giving each other really cool high fives, which back in the day were awesome. Um, <laughs> the jump high five was a very popular move, uh, but it was Mark Clayton, Mark Duper, and also shout out to Lewis Oliver uh, was, was another one who the, just three of the coolest guys and just really fun to watch. They were explosive athletes. Uh, Dan Marino, uh, you could talk about Dan Marino elevated them to a certain extent, and I'm sure he did because he was absolutely amazing for his time. But just to, to kind of put into perspective what kind of duo we were talking about here, in that magical 1984 season, Dan Marino's sophomore season where he threw for then an absolutely unprecedented 5,084 yards and 48 touchdowns, which might sound kind of pedestrian nowadays, the way teams yeah. play defense and the way the rules in the NFL uh, catered to the offense. Back then, it was unheard of for a guy to throw for 5,000 yards and 48 touchdowns. So absolutely amazing. And of those 5,084 yards and 48 touchdowns, 1,306 yards and eight touchdowns to Duper and 1,389 yards and a then record and still third most of all times, 18 touchdowns to Mark Clayton. And, and that's just not a guy that would leap off the page to most people and think, wow, you think of guys like, you know, Jerry Rice, who has the second most and Randy Moss, who has the most touchdowns in a season. You think of guys like T.O., uh, you know, you think of guys like Chad Ochocinco, Marvin Harrison, but uh, actually it's, it's Mark Clayton with 18 uh, that shows up. Uh, just super fun guys to watch. I, I guess I don't have that much more to say, but just a huge, huge Dolphins fan, huge fan of the Marks brothers. Love these dudes. Number one. You you disappointed me. I thought it would be AJ Feely to Marty Booker. Oh, that that's a good one. <laughs> I, I I almost went Jay Fiedler to Ronde Gadsden. There you go. 
poor, poor Dolphins fans because, you know, you still have to live with you know, in Dan Marino's past. In, so. in fairness, I had to go all the way back to 1983 to find to find a duo from the Dolphins. <laughs> and a, my, my outside the box was finding a, a Dolphins tandem at all that uh, could make the list here. But love the Marx brothers. I, I'd be content with those two on, on any list. You guys had a nice cornerback duel uh, for a while. Was it Sertan and Madison? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that was yeah. the uh, that was the late nineties, early two thousand. Madison and Sertan, those boys were nasty. Yeah, um, I remember those boys. Yep, Sam Madison came out a little bit a little bit earlier, and then Patrick Sertan, who's Son, this is how yep. old I am now. Yes, Patrick yep. Sertan's kid no is about to be drafted. Yep. Uh, he's one of the top. Uh, I think he's a corner as well. One of the top corners yes. or safes. De- definitely a defensive back. But you'll you'll see him splash onto the NFL scene next year. Yep. So. One of the favorite duos from my young adulthood now has the son ready to come into the NFL. So, oh well, I mean, think about think about just when I mean think about Cecil Fielder. I remember Cecil Fielder hitting bombs in Detroit. He has a son, Prince Fielder, who's already retired from the MLB. He's already retired, and yeah. his dad was one of my you know favorite players. It's it's, nice, it's, it's absolutely wild. So so Bryce, I, I wanted to introduce it here. Your number one. Now this is this is one that you swapped. So I, I'm very excited to hear who your who your number one duo that you just recently put into your number one slot. Let, let's hear it. Yeah, uh, number one for me is obviously Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and um, that is a complete lie. <laughs> those two don't really pair up very well. Huh? I know, right? It's, it's so bad in Philly. Um, no, number one shooters. is uh, exactly. You, you, I mean, it's fucking 2020. You get shooters, not more centers. But anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, number one. No, for me, it's an NBA basketball. And um, I became like really into the game of basketball. I would say like 2000 to 2001. And um, this is right at the peak of this duo's domination. And uh, Shaq and Kobe, it's it's plain and simple. Uh, Obviously, we know how it ended. And um, RIP to Kobe Bryant, you know, passed away now. But uh, that whole, the breakup between those two, was it got ugly it got real ugly and um but them together was something that i've never seen on a basketball court before and it was fucking ridiculous how good they were together like first of all let's talk about Shaq. let's talk about them individually Shaq probably for my money the most dominant nba player i have ever seen with my own two eyes um, and my money, again, the greatest center of all time, like literally you couldn't do nothing to stop him. Like he, I've seen him dunk on a whole team, like not exaggerating five people under the rim. He's dunking on them. And then talk about Kobe Bryant. Um, Michael Jordan is widely regarded as the greatest, uh, not only greatest two guy of all time, but the greatest player. And uh, Kobe Bryant is the closest thing I think we would see to Michael Jordan and not only just his game, but also his mentality. Like he literally tried to mirror everything that Michael Jordan did and damn near came fucking close to it. Five championships. You know what I'm saying? So them together, that duo together was just unreal, unreal, man. Um, I got some numbers here for you guys. All right. So since their pairing, they joined forces in 96. Kobe was drafted. Shaq uh, obviously signed as a free agent from Orlando. Um, But when they paired together, uh, they have, uh, first of all, four Western Conference titles together. All right. Three of those resulted in championships and they was the 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 second team the three the second franchise at three three p the third team to do so obviously the jordan bulls did it twice um but the 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 main thing the 2001 playoff run that they had in which 
they went 15 and one. All right. The only other team to ever do this was the, the Golden State Warriors, the 2017 Golden State Warriors. They went 15 and one and damn near should have went 16 and 0, but it took um, a fucking crazy effort for my favorite basketball player of all time, Allen Iverson, and that Sixers team getting game one of the NBA finals. But then they just gentlemen swept them. But that domination right there in that three P era is just ridiculous for those two. Uh, combined 13 All-Stars together since joining Versus, eight All-NBA first-team selections, three division titles, and, of course, both are Hall of Famers as well. Um, yeah, man, Shaq and Kobe, if I just – I'm kind of glad as just, like, a basketball fan in general and as, you know, obviously I, I hate the Lakers. I hate that franchise. I hate the fan base. But as a, just a pure basketball fan, I'm kind of mad that those two didn't stick together because – if they would have just worked it out, if they just would have figured it out, man, we could be talking, you know, another six, seven championships for them together. And um, yeah, that duo right there is, is for my lifetime. That is the most dominant duo I think I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'll, I'll see anything that's going to be coming close to them. Pretty cool, man. One, one of my favorite uh, memories of those two was the Western conference finals that they played against the Kings if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I remember specifically rooting against them. I just, I just have really happened to like that Kings team that f- featured uh, Vladi Divac, uh, Mike Bibby, Chris Weber, Weber. Chris Weber. Yeah. It was a re- yeah. Yeah. Christie. Doug yeah. Christie. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It was a really fun team to watch. And I really uh, enjoyed that series. That was one of the, again, with my spotty history with basketball coming in and out as a fan, you know, kind of, Uh, paying attention from a distance. That was a series that I followed really closely and I followed that Kings team very closely. And I just remember Vladi Divac doing his absolute best to try to guard Shaq. And just, I remember thinking kind of like you talked about, these two are just unstoppable. What, what do you do with Kobe who can hit shots from anywhere and distribute as well as anybody. And if you can somehow manage to slow down Kobe and Kobe doesn't kill you, you've got this, you know, seven foot three monster under the rim that can just, you know, bury you down low. So it was who, who makes almost 60% of his field goals that he takes. Ridiculous. <laughs> and, the, and the thing about them as well, like you, you go look at their regular season numbers and they're both averaging well over 25 points. And like you said, Shaq is shooting fucking 60% from the field. But then when they got to the playoffs, man, they just took it to a different level. Like mm-hmm. they became different players. It was a stretch where Shaq was averaging fucking 40 points. And, and and if Shaq is having an off night, an off night for Shaq is like 20 points on, you know, whatever, 10 of 10 of 20 shooting. Like that's an off night for him. Kobe will pick up the slack and he'll go and drop 40 or 50 on you. So it was no answers. It was it was literally no answers. Like we just seen the Lakers win a championship and we seen LeBron and A.D., it was that, but like on steroids because of how dominant Shaq was. And then Kobe, like he's looked at as the number two option, but really you can look at it as option A, option B with those two, man. It was, man, man. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. I've, I've read up a little bit on Co- the Kobe Shaq relationship and kind of, you know, how the, the turmoil and it was very public. It was just kind of like right around the time where the media started swarming in on these guys. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like when I was, a, when I was a kid, I don't remember the media being all over. That's I think why the last dance was kind of so um, eye-opening because the media back then in like the nineties and stuff wouldn't focus uh, so much on the drama and, and the personal 
um, kind of battles. But then in the early 2000s, that's when the kind of that shift in the media kind of took place and they're reporting more on team chemistry and you know what I mean? Have guys sit around and talk about the game instead of showing the highlights sort of thing. So it was interesting to kind of go back and look. I mean, obviously I knew that they didn't have a good relationship. It was pretty well documented, but um, I guess Phil Jackson had said that the problem was more on Shaq's end, which I thought it was interesting because they always, I always thought that they seemed to try to paint Kobe in the worst, in the, in the worst light. Yeah. But um, you know, for him, it was Kobe just, he wanted to be the best. He was like, like you said, he's the closest to Jordan that, that, um, that there's, that there's been, he wanted to be the best. He wanted to be perfect. You know, he wanted you know, he worked hard. They said that Shaq kind of was lackadaisical because, I mean, you can rely on your seven foot three, 350 pound body to kind of dominate on your own. You don't really have to work at your game where Kobe was more of a crafty player. You know, he had to create his own game. He, you know, he, he, he was smooth, but he would, you know, he would practice at his craft. So it was interesting to see that, um, you know, that Shaq wanted, I guess he wanted more money. And they decided, you know, we just this relationship's too much in a turmoil. Stick with Kobe, which I think was the right decision. I think sticking with yeah. Kobe, you know, he's a franchise player, that was the right move to make. Um, but like you said, if they had stuck together, if they had just kind of worked it out, it would have been something probably mirroring the six that Jordan and Pippen went through, maybe even, you know, more than that, because those three years that they they had won the championship and even that fourth that you talked about where they didn't win the championship, unstoppable. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was really ridiculous what what that combination, man. That whew, I might have to go back and watch a couple of Lakers games there because uh that 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 team was special. The, that duel was special, I should say. Um, that is it, guys. We did it. We, we got made through it. it all. Yeah, man, it's we made it. Did anybody duos? Or I guess thirteen duos actually. Yeah, there were a couple of repeats in there. But did I'll you guys uh, have any more honorable mentions that you, that I wanted to mention? Did I mention Tony Gwynn and Ken Kennedy? I can't remember if I mentioned You did that. not, but now you did. Yeah, Tony. I just love Tony Gwynn. It's weird. Um, in the, uh, I'm down in Virginia, and I teach in Maryland. And one of the one of the students at my school, his dad was a major league pitcher, Doug Creek. He was just kind of like a middle reliever, lefty kind of guy. <clears throat> and he would come in for career day, and I just I had I talked to him, sidebar conversation with him, and I asked him who's who who's the toughest hitters you've ever faced. And he told me Tony Gwynn and Ken Caminiti as a duo. He said he could not get them out. He didn't even try. He would just pitch around them. He said Tony Gwynn was by far the best pure hitter in the game that he had ever faced. And it's kind of like my uh, RIP in memorandum of those two because they're, 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 both, they're both dead now, which is crazy. So, Yeah. Um, an honorable mention for me is uh, uh, Tom Brady to Randy Moss. And just particularly for that one season, was that 2007 where the Patriots went 16 and 0? That combination that season was just ridiculous, bro. I oh my god, it it was a match made in heaven. Like you had the the perfect receiver and the perfect quarterback, and they played on the same team. Like the stars aligned, and we seen magic happen all the way up into the Super Bowl. So that's an honorable mention for me. I wanted to squeeze them in there, but I was like, and eh, they didn't quite do enough together for me to uh, put them in there. Yeah, sports duos for me, though, when I was trying to think outside the box, one that came to me was, you know, going with a non-athlete, but was going with like a coach and player tandem. Mm. So I kind of thought Brady and Belichick maybe yeah. uh, would be up there. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, no real further honorable mention. I mean, there's there's so many out there that you yeah, can, there is. that really just stand out. Um, 
there's literally hundreds, you know, of, of great tandems throughout, throughout the years. Uh, but I think, I, I think all of our lists kind of were personalized. And I think that's the most important thing when you're doing something like this, just to have a subjective opinion on it is it's a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm glad we did this one. Yeah. I enjoyed this episode guys. I appreciate you guys for, uh, for going with this idea. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for putting in the work, man. Um, yeah, if you guys listen to this podcast, thank you. Uh, email us, man. What you guys think about our, our duels list and uh, send us your list. Who was your top five all time duels that you love? And um, email us, what's your enthusiasm sportcast at podcast at gmail.com. Go and like us on Facebook, sports your enthusiasm sports podcast. Go and follow us on Twitter at SYE pod. Uh, make sure you are drinking more water. Ain't that right, Rooter? That's right. You got to stay healthy. You got to stay clean. Drink that water. Stay away from COVID. Wear your mask. Uh, Joe, is there anything you want to plug, like your OnlyFans or your uh, what, what do you got? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a negative balance on that for somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that is. <laughs> Joe, you yes. pay people to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a freak, man. Uh, no, he pays for his own OnlyFans. <laughs> I have I have no plugs, unfortunately. I am just a boring middle school math teacher that loves to talk about sports. So I appreciate any time that you guys have me on where I can kind of babble and you guys listen and it's cool. I love it, man. Make sure you take your vitamins as well, guys. Mm, vitamin D and uh, zinc. There it is. Let's stay healthy. Thank you again. We love you guys. Take care.